I want to ask you a question. It's one of those defining questions, and it's not difficult to answer. The only part that's a little tricky is you have to be very unfiltered. I want you to say the very first thing that comes to your mind. As soon as I ask the question, no sort of guessing what the right answer is, no sort of like figuring out what should be said, just straight, top of the mind, whatever comes to your head, I want you to say, here's the question. Are you happy? Are you happy? Now, I believe that that is a fundamental question, and I believe the answer to it is quite eye-opening because I deal with people all the time from so many different walks of life, different communities, different ages, and so many times I find that people are just not happy. Now, if you had a chance to read the Schmooze book, Stop Surviving, Start Living, you know that I hold one of the great philosophical questions of the 21st century is that very deep question, how you doing? As in, how you doing? Because it's not so much the question, but it's the responses you get. How you doing? Hanging in there. How you doing? Surviving. Now those words are appropriate if a man just got a six-month sentence to live. If a man was just sentenced to 25 years in prison, those kind of responses are appropriate. But how do you explain people living in the lap of luxuries, in the greatest time of freedom, opportunity, wealth? How do you explain people's definition of how they're doing, hanging in there, and of course the best, how you doing? I'm alive. Those words, I believe, are not just expressions, but actually they're indicative of a deep dissatisfaction with life. And one of the questions that a person has to always ask himself is, am I happy? And if not, why? And keep in mind, we'll live in a country that's very focused on self-improvement. Happiness today is a big business in this country. You do a Google search on happiness and you'll find 75 million results. If you go on Amazon, you could find 40,000 books on that subject. And I'd like to make a very bold statement. If the climate of your life isn't one of happiness, if in the basic sense you're not fundamentally happy, then I believe that you're not practicing the religion correctly. How do I know that? Because the Chovos Lvovos explains to us, Tov Hashem Lakol, Hashem is good to all, V'rachamav Malkol Masav, and his mercy is upon all of his creations. Explains the Chovos of Ovos, Hashem is a native. Hashem is a giver. Hashem wants to benefit all of his creations. And everything that Hashem did is for the good. And even though it's true that we're created for a much bigger purpose, and we're not created for our station in this world, Hashem, if it could be invested so much energy, forethought, and care into making this world beautiful, and Hashem gave us all of the capacities to enjoy. Hashem gave us sight. Hashem gave us hearing. Hashem gave us touch, mobility. And Hashem created such a beautiful world with so many pleasures for one reason. So that man should be happy. So that we should enjoy our stay in the planet. And explains the Chavos of that this is such a fundamental to our religion that he says that actually this should be the driving force. The driving force of every mitzvah that we do, 
every engagement with Hashem in any level should be the sense of how could I ever repay one ten thousand ten thousandth of all the good that you shower me with constantly. And I'm supposed to feel that I live this incredible life, unending wonders in my life. And again, it's pretty clear that if you're practicing this religion correctly, there should be a pervasive sense of joy, happiness within you. And unless you've suffered a major life trauma, unless you're really, really going through something right now, you should be fundamentally happy. And I'll share with you another little secret. Even if you did experience a major life trauma and you're practicing the religion properly, you'll be happy. And let me give you an example. The schmooze understanding life setting is a very important schmooze, I believe. Basically, it explains that Hashem gives each person a custom-designed, handmade, tailored-for-them life and we're but actors on the stage, each of us given different roles to play. In any case, I was asked to say that schmooze to a group in Muncie of severely disabled men. I was a little bit uncomfortable, but the person who was running the organization said to me, you have to do it. So I came down, and I come into this living room, and I see about 25, maybe 30 men, all in wheelchairs, all severely disabled. About 15 feet in front of me is a man with no legs. And I said to the man who was running this organization, I can't do it. It's just too audacious. I have full mobility. I have all my limbs. For me to talk to these people and tell them, you know, Hashem gives different people life settings and you have to realize it's all for the best. It's just too callous. I can't do it. And the man who was running the organization said, no, they need to hear it. You have to say it. So I did it. And it was the most difficult schmooze I believe I ever said in my life. And I'm saying the schmooze Fifteen feet in front of me is that man with no legs, and I'm doing the whole routine that Hashem gives each person a perfectly designed life for them. It may not be what I asked for. It may not be what I wished for, but it's custom designed to allow me to become the great person I am. On and on I do the whole routine. Okay. When I'm finished, I open the floor for questions, and that man in front of me without the legs raises his hand, And in his broken English, because he mostly spoke Yiddish, said to me, this is very interesting, but what does it have to do with us? And I said, well, you know, Hashem gives some people poverty, some people wealth, some people health, some people the opposite. So he thinks for a minute and he says, oh, I get it. Oh, you look at us like we're handicapped. I get it. And I said, whoa, whoa. And I realized something profound. He hit it on the head. He doesn't look at himself as a handicapped person. He views himself as a human being with different strengths, different talents, some shortcomings, but it doesn't define him. It doesn't limit him. It doesn't create the entire focus of his life. It's but one feature, one part, and to me that was a major muscle lesson And I believe that his attitude is obviously clearly right, is what we should have. And that's why I say that even if, in fact, you live through a legitimate trauma, if you're practicing the religion in the right way, you should be happy and joyful. And I guess a little bit the question is, so why is it that there seem to be so few people who are genuinely happy? 
who are really, really joy-filled, who really love life. Why is it? And I believe it really stems from three mistakes that we make about happiness. These are three what I'll call culturally pervasive mistakes. You may not notice them, you may not be aware of them, but there are three mistakes that typically we make about happiness. The first mistake is a bit obvious, but it bears speaking out. The first mistake is that we get this sort of sense of my outer conditions are what's going to determine my happiness. If I only had money, I'd be happy. If I had a different life, I'd be happy. But my circumstances don't allow me to be happy. And as strange as it sounds, and as much as we know that it's not true, and as often as we say that money doesn't buy happiness, just watch what happens when the Powerball gets to $500 million. And there's this very strong cultural belief that just a little bit more money and I'll be happy. A million dollars would be great. Ten million would make me really, really happy. But a hundred million dollars and whoa, I would be so happy. And the reason why I'm not happy is because I don't have it. Once I would, I'd be happy. So let's deal with this, even though, again, it should be obvious. Let's look at this for a moment. There's a study of lottery winners. These were major lottery winners. And there was an interesting discovery that the sociologist who was looking at the data found out. These were people who won enough money that they would never have to work another day in their life, nor their children, nor their grandchildren. We're talking major lottery winners. And what he found was that 80% of them were back at work within less than one year most of them back at the same job that they originally left. And I want you to picture this for a minute. Imagine you have Joe, the UPS driver. He's dressed in brown, brown shoes, brown shirt. He's driving that truck, and you hear him every day. Oh, boy, if I win that lotto, I'm out of here. You won't see my face again. No more brown for me. Hey, you never know. You never know. Day after day, that's like a mantra to him. And he buys the ticket day after day. And finally, one day he wins. Oh, my goodness, $220 million. I'm out of here. And he flies out of there. You'll never see my face again. And then, oddly enough, within a year's time, he's back in brown, back on that truck, back in the same position he left. But why? Joe, I don't get it. All you needed was a little bit of money and you'd escape. But what Joe discovered was an interesting phenomenon. You see, initially it was great. Wow, all the money I could ever dream of. And he really spent it very, very well for his dreams. He bought a BMW in every color of the rainbow. He went flying around the world. He even went bungee cord jumping off the Eiffel Tower. But eventually, after a few months, he found himself bored. Now what? Now what? And he marches back into that same job and people do this all the time. Everyone says the words, I'm different. I'll be different. And they too fall prey to the exact same reality because the human being has a certain nature to him. But watch this next study. The next study was looking at lottery winners as compared to people who didn't fare so well. In the mid-1980s, a sociologist compared two groups of people On the one hand, people who won lotteries, significant amount of money, 
And on the other hand, people who had just become paraplegic had just lost two limbs. And this is what the sociologists found. Initially, dramatic differences in their level of life satisfaction, in their level of happiness. Obviously, people who won the lottery were ecstatic. People who lost two limbs were quite the opposite. But then within a few months and within a year of that time, they found that the only significant difference in life satisfaction, in happiness, was that the people who were now paraplegics found themselves reporting taking more joy and taking more time to enjoy their physical daily activities. But other than that, there was no significant difference in the overall satisfaction of the overall joy. And strangely enough, we say the words money doesn't buy happiness, but we all believe it. We all feel it. And let's even say we get that one down pat. Money doesn't buy happiness. I got it. I got it. Okay, but if it's not money, it's another issue. You see, I'm not married. That's why I'm not happy. Doesn't the Gemara say, one who lives without a wife is without simcha? That's why I'm not happy. I don't have a good job. If I had a good job, obviously, I'd be happy, but I'm doing this menial labor. I don't have children. If I had children, ah, a family, then I'd be happy. And then a strange thing happens. That fellow gets married, or he gets a good job, or he has children, and he's just as unhappy as he was before. And it's such a strange phenomena that most occupants of this planet have a mantra. The mantra is, I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when. And everyone fills in that when with some other word, some other goal, but everyone's got it. For one person, I'll be happy when I get the newest car. I'll be happy when I get the corner office. I'll be happy when I get that wardrobe that I've been dying for. Everyone has that sort of thing. And they all know for sure, with absolute clarity, I'm not happy now. Why? Because I don't have that. And then lo and behold, they get the that, and they're just as unhappy as they were before. And I'd like to share with you the very first mistake that people make about happiness, and this one is an obvious one, and that is that happiness is not dependent on my outer conditions. It's not dependent on my money. It's not dependent on my good looks. It's not dependent on how handsome I am, how charismatic, how talented. It has nothing whatsoever to do with the outer conditions of my life. It has everything to do with the inner conditions of my life. It's 100% dependent on my attitude, on my perceptions, on my understandings. It's not at all dependent on the circumstances, the outer conditions. It's completely dependent on the inner conditions, my approach, my thoughts, my perceptions. But I'd like to share with you how far this goes. It's actually a Pusuk in Mishle. Kol yimei ani ra'im. All the days of a poor man are going to be bad. All the days of a man in poverty are bad. V'tov lev mishtetomid. And a man with a good heart is going to be constantly at a party. And Rashi explains what this means. A tov lev is a person who's satisfied with what he has. A person whose inner condition is lined up. That man is going to be mishtetomid, constantly at a party, explains Rashi, all the days of his life. It's going to be joy-filled. It's going to be party time. Wow! What Rashi is telling us is Shlomo HaMelech, who's known as the wisest of men, 
was defining for us something very, very important. A tov lev, a man with a good heart, a man whose understandings, perceptions are lined up properly, his life will be a constant party. Not like he'll be okay, not he'll be a little bit joy-filled. It'll be, wow, life is a constant party. But if you look in Rabbeinu Yonah, Rabbeinu Yonah is even more clear. He says, even if this man is poor, you see, the poor man lacks. The poor man doesn't have. It's not an issue of his outer condition. It's an issue of his inner condition because he feels that he's lacking and because he feels that he doesn't have what he needs. That's why his entire life is going to be bad. And the opposite, the same level of poverty or wealth, a tovlev, a man with a good attitude, a man with the right attitude, his life is going to be a party. And I believe what these Rishonim are sharing with us is It's not just that your attitude will determine your joy, your happiness in life. The extremes are dramatic. Life is either going to be this most awesome, wonderful, a party every day. Wow, mishtet tamid, tremendous happiness, tremendous joy, or it's going to be misery. And it's dependent on one thing, not how much money, not how handsome I am, not whether I got that position or didn't get that position, one thing only, tov lev, having my heart in the right alignment, understanding things as the Torah wants me to, perceiving things as I'm supposed to. And while that's an interesting understanding, the question is, why don't people do that? And again, the first mistake we make is we look at the outer conditions of my life as causing me misery. And if I only had my outer conditions met, I'd be happy. And it's not true at all. But there's another mistake that we make about happiness. And to understand this one, I'd like to share with you something very, very profound. Professor Ed Diener published a Satisfaction with Life Scale in 1985. Now this became the gold standard for measuring happiness. Since that time, his scale has been quoted in over 10,000 different articles. And whenever you read something about life satisfaction, whether people are happy, they're not happy, people in Argentina are happy, people in Peru aren't happy, whenever you read something rating mankind's or society's happiness, almost invariably it's based on this satisfaction with life scale study. And this is considered, again, the gold standard. This is the way happiness is measured. So I decided I would take it. I wanted to see whether I'm happy or not. Now, before I tell you how I fared, let me share with you an interesting thought. I consider myself a very happy person. I certainly love life. I, I certainly I love what I do. I get up in the morning with energy. With, I, I, I really enjoy. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. Not everything in life is perfect. And, you know, as everyone else, I have issues, problems, ups and downs. But if you ask the people around me what my general mood is, it's certainly buoyant. It's certainly happy. But more than that, I'm telling you, I love life. If I could take a pill that would let me sleep two hours only, I would jump on it. Okay. So anyway, I decided to take this life satisfaction uh, test to see if I'm happy or not. So I'll explain to you how it works. It's a series of questions, and each one you rate with a one through seven. If it's something that you strongly disagree with, you you write down a one. If it's something that you strongly agree with, you write a seven. 
And the more points that you get on this scale, the happier you are. So obviously, if you strongly agree with the statements, you're going to be considered a happy person. If you strongly disagree with these statements, you're an unhappy person. And this is how you rate yourself. So let me share with you the questions. Number one, in most ways, my life is close to my ideal. That's not true. Uh, Listen, Baruch Shem, I take real pride in things that I've accomplished, but I also know I could have done a lot more. I could be doing a lot more. I could be learning more. I could be doing a lot more in terms of writing, in terms of speaking. There's a lot that I'm not really there yet. I certainly can't say my life is is an ideal. So I got a two on that one. Okay. Question number two. I'm satisfied with my life. Do I strongly agree, strongly disagree? So, I mean, listen, again, Baruch Hashem, I'm satisfied with many things that I've done. Many things in my life are, you know, properly lined up. But there are a lot of things that I'm really not quite happy with, a lot of things that I've done wrong, a lot of things that I could do better, a lot of things that could use changing. So in this one, it wasn't terrible. I got a four. Okay. Let's get to the third question. So far, I have the important things I want in life. Important things I want in life. Listen, Baruch Hashem, I have a wonderful wife, and I have six kids, now grandchildren, so I certainly have much to be thankful for, and I very much appreciate it. But there sure are many things that I have in life that I have not accomplished yet, I haven't done yet. I have many, many dreams, many, many visions of things that I want to do, that I need to do. Can I say all the important things in my life? I have No. So I got a two. Okay, let's move along. The next one, the conditions of my life are excellent. That happens to be true. Baruch Hashem, I'm healthy, I'm well, beautiful family. Uh, there I got a seven. I strongly agree. I rated well on that one. But here was the kicker, the last question. If I could live my life over, I would change almost nothing. What are you, kidding me? Change almost nothing? Again, Baruch Hashem, I'm very happy with what I do. I love my work, and I love my involvement in things. But I sure have made many mistakes along the way. If I could do it over, there sure are many things I would do differently, say differently. And I cannot agree with that one at all. I got a one. I strongly disagreed. So I rated it. I added up the scores. And when I rated it all together, my score was a 15. Would you like to know how that rates? Um, On the scale of measure, I am unhappy, close to depressed, and close to needing professional help. Hmm. That's a little strange because I never felt that way. I didn't wake up in the morning and say, life stinks, I wish I could jump off the bridge. Quite the opposite, let's go. I'm... So I found it a little funny because this is the ultimate gold standard of, of, of life satisfaction. This is the ultimate happiness measure. I, I think I'm very happy, and yet it says that I'm very unhappy. So I decided to take this very test and apply it to some other people who I believe were happy, who I factually know are happy, and let's see how they rated. So I took one who came to mind, David Melech. Let me give... Dovin Melech, this life satisfaction test, and let's see how he did. Well, let's begin with one certain observation. And Hashem gave Dovid the ultimate life test. His one greatest test in life was going to be in the area of illicit relations, and that's in fact what happened with Bacheva. And as a king in Yisrael, he publicly lived with an Ashes Ish. It was the worst moment of his existence. His greatest challenge. He said to Hashem, challenge me. Hashem said, I will. And that challenge, he failed. And he was broken by it. Read the words of Tachnun. Yagasi ba'anchasi. My groans just wear me out. My bed is filled with my tears. For years he suffered pain, embarrassment. And he dealt with that in a very, very real way. 
And if you're not sure, just read the words of Tachnun. So let us give Dovr Melech the, um, this life satisfaction uh, test, and let's see how he does. Okay, question number one. So far, I have the important things I want in life. Well, there was one thing he yearned for. He asked to be the one to build the base of Migdash, and Hashem flatly refused. You will not do it. Your son, but not you. So I guess David Mel doesn't do too well on that one. Uh, maybe a one. Okay, <clears throat> number two. The conditions of my life are excellent. Well, let's think about that. He was chased out of his own palace by his son of Shalom, who then lived with David's concubines. David was on the run, sleeping in the woods conditions of my life are excellent, I think he'd have to strongly disagree and again uh, get a one. But let's deal with this one. If I could live my life over, I would change almost nothing. Change almost nothing? The greatest test of his life. He failed publicly. It was Mechalel Shem Shemayim. Hashem the name of Hashem was sullied if it could be because here was the chassid, the tzaddik, who did something like that. For his, the rest of his life, he suffered pain. He suffered tremendous agony. How could you say, if I could live my life over, I would change almost nothing? He gets a one. And I'd like to share with you, Dovid Melach had to take this life satisfaction test. He would do miserably. But here's a little question I have. If you read the words of Tehillim, you see a man who was filled with joy. When I read your words of Torah, it fills me with joy as if I found a huge treasure house. You read the words of appreciation, words of joy. Those are the words of a man who's filled with a tremendous appreciation. A man who's filled with an inner satisfaction. A man who loves life. How could it be? How could David do so poorly on the gold standard of measurement of happiness, he'd be called depressed by that standard, and yet we see that he was such a genuinely joyful, happy person. And I believe that this is the second mistake that people make about happiness. Happiness doesn't mean my life is going to be beautiful, smooth sailing, everything I want, everything I need, everything's going to be right there, and life is going to be wonderful all the time. Life has challenges. Life has very, very real challenges, and sometimes I fail them. And sometimes I wake up in the morning, I say, I blew it. And I realize that I could have been different. I should have been different. And that doesn't mean anything vis-a-vis happiness. See, happiness isn't this plastered-on, yellow, smiley face that goes, life is wonderful all the time. If you want to know the measure of happiness, it's a simcha sachayim, an inner joy. There's a love of life. There's a sense you wake up in the morning, let's go. I love life. Am I happy with everything in life? No. Do I wish that things were different? Oh, I sure do. Mostly things about myself. But either way, there's a sense of the value of life. The sense of life is precious. And a sense of a love for life. But it doesn't mean that life is going to be happy all the time. Every day I'm getting better and better in every way. That's la-la land. And if you believe that that's what happiness is, I'd like to share with you, you're not going to be very happy. I have a, my mantra. I have a line that I use over and over. If you wake up in the morning and don't feel that you're failing in at least one area of life, then I believe you're failing at life. You see, if you wake up in the morning, 
don't find at least one or two areas that you're really not excelling in. But not just you're not excelling, you're really blowing it. If you don't wake up in the morning and say, I failed, then you don't have a clue about life. You don't understand your potential. You don't know what you're put on the planet to do. Because I don't care how good you are. I don't care how focused you are. You're going to excel in some areas, be very good in other areas, but there are going to be certain parts of your life that just are not in order. And how do I know that? Because if it weren't true, you wouldn't be on this planet. Your job would be done. You'd be in Shemayim, done, finished. But we're here for one reason, to be challenged, to win some, to lose some, to get back up off that canvas, get back in the fight time after time. And a happy life is not about, oh, wonderful, all my needs are taken care of, and no no stressors, nothing going wrong, my life is beautiful. That's a delusional world, the world of Peter Pan. But the world that we live in is a very different world. Hashem put us on the planet to grow, to accomplish. Hashem challenges us and gives us very, very real difficultness shown us. And sometimes we succeed and there's a sense of, wow, I did it. And sometimes we don't. But life has a very real purpose. And a person who's happy, just like it's not based on my outer conditions, it's also not based on winning every battle or fooling myself that everything is great. It's based on understanding life. I have time to grow, to accomplish. I wake up in the morning with blood in my veins, with breath in in my lungs, and I say, let's go, I can change, I can grow, and I love life. But that doesn't mean I love every aspect of it, doesn't mean I love every decision that I made, and certainly doesn't mean that everything I've done until this point is right on target. And I believe that's the second mistake that people make about happiness, and now we come to the crux of the issue. What brings a person to happiness? But more than that, what, what is happiness? And to really understand how fundamental this question is, let me share with you an interesting anecdote. Rav Noach Weinberg Hatzal, the Rosh Hashiva of Eish Torah, was once in yeshiva, and a young fellow, wasn't religious, came into the yeshiva, and he came to Rabbi Weinberg and said, Rabbi Weinberg, I want to learn about spirituality, Jewish spirituality. So the fellow spent a few days in the yeshiva, a few classes, and he said, I don't see much here. I'm going out to the rest of Israel. I want to find spirituality. So this young fellow, he went to Meisharim, he went to Tzfas, he went all across the country, and after a few weeks he comes back to Rabbi Weinberg and says, you know something, I went in search of spirituality throughout the whole country. I couldn't find it anywhere. There's no spirituality here whatsoever. Rabbi Weinberg looked at him and said, "Mm, no spirituality? I see. Well, let me ask you a different question. What do you think about the Bafusniks? So I said, what? You know, the Bafusniks, what do you think about them? The fellow said, I don't know who they are. I, I don't care if you know who they are. What do you think about them? The fellow said, I, I can't give you an opinion because I don't know who they are. Forget if you know them. Just tell me what you think about them. The fellow looks at Rabbi Weinberg. Rabbi Weinberg, I don't understand you. I don't know who they are. How can I tell you what I think about them? And Rabbi Weinberg looked at the fellow and says, and spirituality, you do know what it is? And what he was saying to this young man is, you didn't find spirituality because you don't know what you're looking for. You don't understand what it is. Obviously, you didn't find it. And I say it's exactly the same thing with this thing called happiness. Would you like to know why so many people are unhappy? One of the reasons is because they don't have a clue to what it is. And let me share with you one classic example. It's what I call the third mistake of happiness. It's what's known as the pursuit of happiness. 
Now, this country was founded by men of great wisdom, great understanding, and the Constitution is a near prophetic document. It's astonishing the intelligence, the far thinking that went into that document. And yet, there's a line in there that's a bit strange. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by the creator of certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, I'd like to share with you that the pursuit of happiness is in vain. Because if you pursue happiness, I guarantee you will never find it. Chase after it, and it will elude you. Run after it, and it will disappear. If you pursue happiness, I guarantee you will never find it. And would you like to know why? Because happiness is not something you can pursue. It's not based on your outer conditions. It's not living the life of Riley. And it's not something that you can pursue. And now we come to the great secret. Okay, I get it. It's not based on my outer conditions. I got that part. Good, good, good. And, and I also got it. My life's not going to be perfect. And I'm going to have things that I win at things. That I, I got that too. Uh, but I'm not going to be able to pursue it. So how could I be happy? And the answer to this question is, when you lead a life as your creator wants you to lead it, one of the side benefits is happiness. You see, Hashem is the mate Hashem is the giver. And Hashem put us on the planet for a particular reason. Hashem gave each of us a mission, gave us an exact formula how to reach it, gave us various systems of perfection. And when you lead a life the way your creator wanted you to lead it, there's an inner sense of joy, of happiness. You understand what pleasures are for, and you use them as tools. You understand what passions and drives are, and you learn to use them appropriately. And because you're a man in sync, because you're a person in balance, you lead a life that's beautiful, that's fundamentally joy-filled, that you enjoy. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. It doesn't going to mean you have the life of Riley. It means that you and you are in sync. Hashem wants you to succeed. Hashem wants you to be happy in this world. And if you lead your life the way your Creator wanted you to, and you use the systems in this world as you're supposed to, one of the side benefits is there's a sense of peace, harmony, joy, and happiness within you. It's not based on your outer conditions, not how much money you have, not how handsome you are, not how popular you are. It's not based on living a life without failing. Every test of my life has succeeded, and it's certainly not something you can pursue. But when you understand life fundamentally, and you lead a life as you're supposed to, there's an inner joy and inner peace. You and you are in sync, and the result of that is a person of happiness. And as strange as it sounds, it's so intuitive and so easy to get to if we follow the program. Hashem is the native. Hashem wants us to be happy because Hashem is the giver. And even though we're put on this world not for our station in this world, even though this world is a passing stage, but there's so much that Hashem put into this world for us to enjoy, so much that Hashem put in for one reason, because Hashem wants us to be happy, to be joy-filled, to take satisfaction, to look at a sunrise, to look at a sunset, to look at flowers and enjoy it. 
But the issue is based on one thing, leading a life the way your Creator wanted you to. And the three mistakes that people make about happiness is, number one, I'll be happy when. Only when, when I get married, when I have kids, when I make a lot of money, when I get the corner office, when I get the fancy car, when my neighbors respect me, when I... And every human being who has that statement that ends with, I'll be happy when, eventually may just get the when, but it doesn't matter. They're as miserable as they were before. And as my outer conditions don't determine it, it's so much dependent on my inner conditions that Shlomo Melch defined it. Tov Lev. If your heart is aligned properly, if you understand life, and if your perceptions are what they should be, mishtetamid, life is a constant party. Wow, let's go. Let's enjoy life as a party. And all you have to do to wreck your life is to be an ani. But an ani doesn't mean a man of poverty because he's lacking funds. It's lacking because I need more. I need more money. I need more honor. I need more whatever it is. And then your life becomes a misery. A tov lev is something that requires an awful lot of work. But understanding what Hashem wants from us and understanding how to use this thing called life appropriately is something that requires focus, attention, and doesn't come instinctively. Happiness doesn't mean my life is going to be the life of Riley. There will be ups and downs, tests and failures, and there will be difficult parts in it. But fundamentally, there's a joy, there's a happiness, there's a love of life within me. And the main point is I can never pursue it. Because the pursuit of happiness will lead to misery. It's pursuing smoke, it's pursuing clouds, because you can't pursue it. It's a tangible, real feeling that you get when you're leading your life the way Hashem wants you to. And then there's an inner peace, an inner harmony, there's a sense of wow. And it's very interesting because Alcoholics Anonymous has a line that their counselors say on a regular basis. You have to understand, if a fellow's in AA, and especially if he's a serious alcoholic, if he doesn't stick with the program, it may well be the end of his life. And yet often you have people who will stay for a while, two months, three months, six months, and they decide, I don't need any more. I can do without the fellowship. They could do it without the meetings, and they go off on their own. And typically what happens is they get on a binge, and they'll be drinking for three days or three weeks, and they wake up in the county prison, and two days later they come to, and eventually the judge gives them one more shot, and he comes back to the AA meeting, and the question that the AA counselors have been schooled to ask them is, so tell me, how's that working out for you? You don't need the meetings. You don't need the program. How's that working out for you? And the reason why I say that is because I think that's a very important line to ask. So many people are fundamentally unhappy. So many people go through life miserable. And the question you have to ask them is, so how's that working out for you? Well, I got news for you. It doesn't have to be that way. There's a system, there's a program. Hashem wants you to enjoy life. Hashem wants you to be happy and joy-filled in a vague sort of Big picture sense, it means leading a life according to the Torah way, but there's a specific set of principles and rules. Once you understand the human being, once you understand what makes you, once you understand what takes away from you, once you understand the system, then you could apply it. But you have to learn it. 
And if you're going to go through life as most people do, I'll wing it. You know, listen, I'll wing it. I'll be happy eventually. But you don't learn the system. You don't learn how to use pleasures. You don't learn what to do with desires. You don't learn how you're supposed to approach various situations in life. You don't have the tools. You don't have what's needed. And you find yourself day after day, I'll be happy when, but you're no happier. The purpose of this series is to offer the tools, perspective, the mindset. Some of it is motivational, but far more important, the understanding. What does Hashem want me to do with my time? How should I use pleasures? How should I use desires? How should it be that I can train myself to be fundamentally happy and joy-filled? And one thing I'll guarantee you, if you use the system do the Muslim exercises, I guarantee your life will change in a radical way. I'm not going to tell you you're going to be Dover Melech. I'm not going to say you'll be Hovlev, Mishta, Tommy, life is wonderful. But I guarantee that you'll be happier because Hashem created us with this system, gave us these tools, and Hashem ultimately wants us to succeed. And I want to close with one last thought. I want to read some poetry. I want to read you a little poetry I just want you to hear the words. If my mouth were filled with song like the ocean, if my tongue were filled with joyous praise like all its waves, if my lips were filled with praise like the breath of the heavens, if my eyes shined brilliantly like the sun and the moon, if my hands were spread out like the eagles of the sky, I could not begin to repay you one ten thousand ten thousand for all that you have bestowed upon me. Who said those words? Must have been a prince must have been a king, a man who lived an enchanted existence, a man who just unending uh, pleasures upon pleasures, because look at his description. It's surely not our life, except one little problem. Those are the words of Nishmas. Every Shabbos before Yishtabach, we read those words, and we're supposed to say them, but not lip service. We're supposed to feel Hashem, what could I ever do to repay you one ten thousand ten thousand for all that you've bestowed upon me, for all that you shower me with, for all that I enjoy? Enjoy? I mean, life's all right, but come on, joy, pleasures. What what are we talking about? But that's exactly the point. If you don't learn to use pleasures, if you don't learn to use the world the way Hashem wants you to, you live a very austere, difficult, barren life. But that's not the life your Creator intended for you. And it's not the system. Mitch Hashem will go through it step by step. I hope you'll stay with it because I guarantee it will change your perspective, certainly on pleasures, certainly on happiness, and I believe it will help you dramatically enjoy life to a much greater degree.